my name is Skyler. I've uh, known Shane for quite some time, and it's good to be back here at Uncommon. I was here like a few weeks ago um, in this series, uh, Real Church, talking about Paul's relationship with the church in an ancient city called Corinth, otherwise known as the Corinthians. Um, Paul's relationship with Corinth has been that of uh, a father and a growing child. That's how I've liked to view it. As the kid grows and tries to figure out life, it's only a matter of time before he starts crashing into some stuff, right? Jenna, you're in for it pretty soon. You're about to have a little baby. For those of you who have kids, you probably, you know, you know what I'm talking about. New in their faith, the Corinthians begin to run into some issues that could potentially mislead them in a number of different ways. So these are issues that could be detrimental to their spiritual health and their growth, as well as their community as a whole. So one of the pressing issues for Paul is a group of men that came to Corinth and started causing trouble. They identified themselves as apostles, which simply is a word that means uh, someone that's sent out with full authority from God. Okay, Paul was an apostle, the apostle Paul. Now these guys were false teachers, and they began to challenge the Corinthians' perceptions of Paul's personal integrity. They started talking trash on him. They started challenging their perception of his authority as an apostle. Not to mention, and probably most importantly, they brought a new gospel and started talking about a different Christ. Paul's not down with that. So when he caught wind of this, he made a second trip to Corinth. He had been there once before, makes an emergency trip down there to see if he can try to sort out the issues that's going on in this community that he started. And he doesn't want to unravel, or he doesn't want the work that he's done there to, to be unraveled. Um, and he cares for his brothers and sisters. He doesn't want them to be misled. So unfortunately, because Paul's trip, or his second trip, it didn't work out the way that he hoped it would. Um, things didn't kind of pan out. They didn't, uh, they didn't take his, his criticism. They didn't take his advice. So out of anguish and distress, Paul left and wrote them another letter. So we don't have that letter. Um, but what we do know is Paul talks about the letter that he wrote to them, and it's, it's called the severe letter. So he basically like, had a stern talking to them via letter. So it turns out, as we find out in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, his letter actually did the job. And we see that the, the Corinthians, for the most part, repented, they were super sorry, and they realized that what they did sucked. Now, this encouraging news uh, that Paul received that his letter did the job became the occasion for his writing of 2 Corinthians. And so that's the letter that we have. So the general tone of this letter, we're going to be in chapter 13 tonight. You guys have been in it for like years now. So you guys know that the general tone has, has been that of uh, encouragement. Paul's excited. He's overjoyed. He's seeing his, his kids actually get it. They're, they've bumped and bruised into a lot of different things. And they're like, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. They're growing up. They're maturing. And Paul's excited. But as soon as we reach chapter 10 through 13... His tone starts to shift, and he gets a little bit harsh, a little bit more stern. So we're going to look at chapter 13 tonight, um, and we're going to see Paul warn the Corinthians of a third visit that he'll be making. So he made one. His second visit didn't do the trick, so he wrote the letter, and now he's coming back to visit them. But he's warning them that when he comes back, he wants to make sure they've got their stuff figured out, or it's probably not going to be too good for them, because he's had to warn them multiple times, hey, you guys got to figure it out, because it's not good for you or your community or the world at large. I like to imagine it as a mom coming into her kid's room for the third time after she's already asked him to clean up the room twice. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to come back a third time, and if I come back and your clothes aren't put away, 
you know, you're getting the paddle or, you know, you're getting the belt or whatever. Okay. So along with the warning, Paul also gives a challenge to the Corinthians. And it's a challenge to truly look inside themselves and examine their own faith and their own heart in the midst of all their criticisms and accusations towards him. Because after all, as people, we are all too often very ready to examine and test other people. But we must remember that first and always first, we need to look inside, examine and test ourselves. Okay, Are you guys with me so far? Are we all caught up in context? Ready? Okay, so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read it um, all the way through. And then, uh, yeah, just, just hear it. Listen to it as I read it all the way through, and then we'll go through the verses. This is the third time I'm coming to visit you guys. And as the scriptures say, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I've already warned those who have been sinning when I was there on my second visit, but now again I warned them, and all others, just as I did before, that next time I'm not going to spare them. I will give you all the proof you want that Christ does speak through me. Christ isn't weak when he deals with you. He's powerful among you. And although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and we'll have God's power too. So examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. And if not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope that you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. So can you guys sense a little bit of... Uh, discipline here, a little bit of like harshness in Paul's tone. He's, it's, a, it's a stern warning as he's saying this. And it's important to remember the backdrop of the conflict he's had with Corinth um, for writing this. There's been multiple times where they, they've turned their back on him. They've been influenced by these false apostles, these false teachers, um, and they're kind of undermining his work. And so he's, he's on the last leg of his chances here. So verse one says, this is the third time I'm coming to visit you. As the scriptures say, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So in light of his visit, Paul quotes some text from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19, which states this requirement that if you're going to accuse someone against, or make an accusation against someone, then it has to be supported by at least two to three witnesses. Jesus actually spoke about this when talking to his disciples regarding church discipline. So there's some commentators that have interpreted this to mean that if when Paul comes on his third visit, the Corinthians try to still accuse him. If they're still not uh, with him, if they're still pointing the finger, if, the, if they're still being influenced by these troublemakers, then they need to do so with two or three witnesses if they want to actually make a charge against him. Others see it differently, and this is kind of the view of this part that I, I lean more towards. Rather than the Corinthians' case against Paul... Paul is talking about his observation and case towards the Corinthians. How many times has he, is he, has he come to visit them already? Twice, right? And he's coming a third time. So you could look at his visits to Corinth as his witnesses towards them, right? His viewing of the, how they're doing. That's his case against them. So the point of this perspective is that this time Paul comes as a judge, right? The third witness. He's bringing charges against Corinth. See what he's getting at here? I lean more towards that, considering the following text as Paul goes on. So in verse 2, I've already warned those who had been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Remember, his second visit was like his fix-it trip that didn't work. 
Now I again warn them and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. If I come back, your room's not clean, it's not going to be a good time for you, right? So Paul wants to make it very, very clear that he's done giving them chances and that it will soon be time for stern discipline if they can't figure it out, if they can't get their ducks in a row. So verses 3 through 4. I will give you all the proof that you want that Christ speaks through me. So Paul's opponent, some of the, uh, the false apostles, said that they wanted to see more power from Paul. He seemed too weak and too humble for their liking. So as Paul goes on, he addresses this too as he warns the church as well as the guys that are in there causing trouble. Christ is not weak when he deals with you guys. He is powerful among you. And although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. Similarly, we, when Paul says we, he's talking about him and his buddies, we too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be made alive, or we will be alive with him and we'll have God's power. So basically what Paul's saying here, he's like, some of you in there have wanted more proof that God speaks through me. You've wanted more power coming out of me. Well, this time when I come on my third visit, my third witness, when I bring my charge against you, you'll get the proof that Christ speaks through me. But except this time, it's not going to be cool signs and wonders. It's not going to be that kind of stuff. It's going to be discipline, right? It's going to be um, strength when I come to correct what's going on there. Paul reminds these guys, and he makes this comparison, how Christ was crucified but now lives in God's power, right? He reminds them that Christ was crucified in weakness but yet lives by God's power. And in like fashion, Paul himself, though weak, will deal with the Corinthians by God's power. So this is his warning to them. Verses 1 through 4 is, hey, I'm coming a third time. Just like the Old Testament says, you need two or three witnesses to charge someone. So now I'm coming a third time, and I'm bringing a charge against you. And if you guys don't have it figured out, it's not going to be good for you. You need to get this stuff straightened out. You need to figure this out. Just like Christ was weak, but now lives in power, you thought I was weak, and I might still be weak, but I'm going to come with God's power. And when I discipline you, you're not going to like it. You guys with me so far? Okay. So this is his warning. It's like, I'm coming home, get it straightened out. If it's not, I'll do it myself, and you don't want that. Okay? So... At the influence of the false teachers, the Corinthians have put Paul to the test, and he's complied so far. He's like, I'll show you the power that you want to see. I'll answer the questions that you want me to answer. But now, it's their turn. They've put the ball in Paul's court. He passed the test, and now he's turning it around towards them to challenge the church. He doesn't just want to leave it at that. He wants to challenge them. And as we're about to see, um, Paul's going to press into that. So verse 5. Five through six. So brothers and sisters, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, then you failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. So the challenge that Paul presents is to examine themselves. Okay, to examine themselves, to see whether the, their faith, their spirit is in the right spot or not. Many would say that faith is believing in something even if you can't see it, which I think is a good definition of faith. I think it's true. I think it brings a lot of hope. But faith is more than that. So faith, what, the way that I like to view it is faith is stepping into and living out of a new reality. Okay, it's stepping into a new reality. Um, and maybe this new reality 
is, is it, it's not dictated by our circumstance. It operates outside of our circumstance. And so I'll, I'll give you an example. Think of a woman who just received a diagnosis and not the good kind of diagnosis, okay? Her circumstances permit her to be afraid. She might feel lonely. She might feel regret. She might feel like giving up. But faith in Christ offers her a new reality in the midst of her circumstance that she can step into that, that isn't contingent on what's going on in her life. It's a reality where God is near, where he's not far away, where he is relentlessly loving towards her, where he understands her suffering and promises that whatever happens now, in the end, resurrection has the last word. Right? These are all things of a new reality of a kingdom, of a way of life that, the, that Jesus offers through faith that she can live out of even in the midst of her bad diagnosis. Are you with me? Does that make sense? How do you think that reality would influence a person going through something like that? Or someone who just got you know, the pink slip or just lost the job or you know, just lost the family member or is going through suffering? It's that new reality that you can enter into by faith that will actually influence the way that you begin to live, right? So that might change her life, at least in the way that she, she walks through this suffering. People would ask, how are you not freaking out right now? You know, how many of you guys have ever met someone who's going through it and they're totally at peace and it doesn't make sense? How are you not freaking out right now? Did you just hear what the doctor told you? It's that kind of life that comes from faith, faith in Jesus specifically, and the things that he teaches and offers and, and, and modeled. And it's important to know that it's not like childishly unrealistic. It's not like, oh, it's just going to be okay. It's all clouds and rainbows, but you're just really ignoring the problem. It's not that. It's, it's a genuine hope, even in the face of true suffering. And so that's the way that I like to view faith. Paul even writes about this in another one of his letters in Philippians chapter 4. Some of you guys could probably, you know, quote this verse back to me. It's super popular. Don't worry, instead pray. Tell God what you need, thank him for all he has done, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. It's like lean into the divine, trust Jesus, trust God, and then you experience this peace that doesn't make sense and will probably weird people out and make them angry that you're not panicking with them, right? As we live in a new reality, the one offered to us by Jesus, one that trusts God, there's rest there, there's this peace. Our, or everything, and when we sit there, everything in our life flows out of that. Our faith in the Christ issues this life characterized by love and joy and peace and, and faithfulness and goodness and gentleness, and we start to become like Jesus the more that we rest in that, right? This is what Jesus' half-brother, James, said, right? Faith without action is dead. If you say you have faith in Jesus, if you say that you stand in his resurrected reality, but you don't love, you're not faithful, you're still shaken by every little thing that goes wrong, you could ask, are you really standing in that reality? Is your faith alive or is it dead? Is it genuine? Test your faith. And so this is where Paul's challenge is coming from towards the Corinthians. Because here they are saying, yeah, man, we're all in. We're, we're, we're following Jesus, the guy that you, the gospel that you've brought to us. But their life is saying something else. They've been constantly condemning and criticizing and accusing them and being misled by these guys who showed up in their community and they're causing trouble. And so Paul says, 
I've passed your tests, now you need to test yourself. You need to examine yourself. It's like, come on, guys. Look at what you're doing right now. It's time to stop. And in, in, in verse 5, he, he, you can kind of sense some sarcasm here from Paul, too. He goes, don't you know that Jesus is among you? Don't you know that Jesus is among you? Look at your life. Maybe you don't know that he's, after, he's with you after all, right? Maybe you're not resting in that reality. Maybe you're not resting in who God is. Maybe the Corinthians' perception has become so skewed by these false apostles that they can't even recognize Christ's presence in the community anymore. The very fact that the Corinthians are demanding proof that Jesus is speaking through Paul suggests that they're probably out of touch with genuine evidences of the Spirit's work in the community. And this is what Paul's concerned with. Rather than simple behavior modification, he's not concerned that these guys are being mean to him and he just wants them to apologize. He's concerned that they are being misled, strayed away from the gospel and the life of the kingdom, from the new reality. His challenge for them is to not stop being mean and apologize. He gets to the root of that behavior. He gets to what's causing it. And he wants to bring them back to their awareness of Christ. He wants to bring them back to the new reality that Jesus offers, that he brings, that he taught about, which in the end, by the way, influences how we live, right? That's the spot that all of our stuff comes from. So he asks, guys, are you off base? Examine yourselves. What, are, what reality are you standing? It's a reality check, right, so to speak. Not in the general sense of how we use it, but what reality are you resting in? Where is Jesus to you right now? Who is Jesus to you right now? Because everything flows out of that, and Paul's not happy with what he's seeing flowing out of this community. Verse 6, he says, And as you test yourselves... I hope that you will recognize that we haven't failed the test of apostolic authority. In other words, as you test yourselves, as you recenter, as you realign yourself with Jesus, you'll see that I've been there the whole time. And that I'm not a false apostle like these guys are trying to tell you. He's like, I've been following the straight and narrow the whole time. When you realign yourself, you're going you're gonna to see me right there with you. His hope in all this if you keep reading in like the next few verses after this, I think it's like 8 through 10. Paul's hope is that his brothers and sisters just grow up. That they become mature in their faith. Why? Why would he want that? Well, primarily is because the world is depending on it. The world needs Christians, people who are aware of this new reality, who are aware of the possibilities that come from trusting Jesus, the world needs us to get that right and to be really good at living that out because other people can see what's possible, can see what's available to them. And Paul wants these guys to get that right. The ancient world needed it. It needed people who are aware of and living out of the reality that Christ teaches us of. Right? It's like there's a way where resurrection has the last word, not death where there's always hope for new life. When you're aware of that, it changes everything. And people start to lean in. How are you not freaking out? Why are you not freaking out about what the doctor told you, right? And the, the reality is the world today still needs that from us because we're still here as the church 2,000 years later. The modern world needs the church to get really good at that too, to constantly abide in Christ so that it can see what's possible and what's available. We need to stay centered, stay focused, 
on the stuff that matters. And that's why Paul confronts the Corinthians and the troublemakers there. It's why he gets so stern with them. It's why he doesn't give up on them, but rather helps them to refocus, to get back to Christ, back to love and grace and hope. It just goes to show how simple distractions and temptations can throw us off track from what really matters. There's so much stuff. There's so many different voices there in the political climate, in, on the news, in, in every single day, just in our regular life. There's so many different voices that can come in as false apostles, if you would like to call it that, and start to pull us off track, start to pull us away to where our attention begins to focus on other people, right? Begins to focus on other things that don't matter when, when really we, we stop loving, which leads me to ask, do we need to test ourselves? Do we need to stop for a reality check? Are we resting? Are we living out of the reality that Jesus brings? Is our faith truly solid, genuinely on him? Or do we find ourselves getting distracted by what everyone else is doing wrong? Or are we too busy becoming experts in everyone else's shortcomings that we're failing at becoming experts in loving one another? So I ask the question, what in our life needs to be refiltered through the reality of Jesus? What in our life needs to be mitigated by who Jesus is and by the new reality that he offers? Re-examined, tested. I just had this thought, like, wouldn't it be neat if we began and ended each day just sitting and reflecting for a few minutes on that new reality, on the things that Jesus offers and on what life would look like um, if we really abided in him? What would change if maybe each morning we sat and contemplated about how God's got us and his love reaches every part of our life? And even in the worst of us, or and even in the, his love reaches the worst of us. And then we took that stuff into our day, right? And maybe what if each night we sat and thought about all the people that pissed us off throughout the day and how God's grace extends to them too and how new life can always spring forth at every moment, right? These are the things of the kingdom, of the new reality that Jesus offers that change how we live every single day. Just daily, rather than allowing ourselves to be pulled off base by the stuff of this world, intentionally recentering ourselves on Jesus, on love, on grace, on hope, on faithfulness. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. That's what he wants to bring his brothers and sisters in Corinth back to. He wants to bring them back to an awareness because he sees this stuff coming out in their life. They're accusing, they're criticizing, they're going in all sorts of different ways, and he wants to pull them back. No, no, no. Remember what this thing is all about. Examine your faith. So we need to check the reality that we're living out of constantly and consistently. I think it's an every single day thing. I think it's an every single day thing of reminding ourselves. Maybe that's through worship music or through reading scripture, these small daily practices that help us stay in this mindset of, oh yeah, this is what's possible for me now. This is my new reality. This is what this means for my life. So therefore, this is how I'm going to live. Some of the the ways that, or some of the, um, some ways that we can check ourselves, that we can examine ourselves, um, and some check engine lights that we can, uh, that we can kind of use to help us in the right direction. We can ask ourselves, hey, where am I scared? Am I scared about anything? Am I worried? Am I anxious about anything? Or maybe am I acting out in anger or in spite of other people rather than love, grace, or hope, right? We can follow those little rabbit trails and see where our engine's leaking and see if we can't mitigate that stuff through the reality of Jesus and through what he offers. 
Um, I just had this thought earlier whenever I was like sitting and, and getting ready to, to come up and speak and it was like for me, like I haven't taught, I haven't preached in a church since last time I was here. You know, I used to work as a pastor in a church and now I'm a substitute teacher. And so that's kind of teaching, but not really. It's more just like glorified babysitting with nice clo- nicer clothes on, right? And so I, there's still a lot of bitterness inside of me towards uh, the church and the church that I used to work for. And um, there's big parts of me that always wants to be right, that always wants to point out the wrong in other people oh yeah, look at what they're doing wrong, ha ha, that sucks, they should have done it like this. Part of the reason why I think I went to school to learn about the Bible is because I wanna be right, I wanna, you know, I I listen to so many different podcasts from authors and speakers because I wanna be right, and I have conversations with people in mind. When I'm listening to these things, I'm like, oh, if if they ever ask me this question, then I'm gonna say this back to them. And And I feel like I've just allowed myself to be pulled off center. And I've been so distracted by the things that don't matter. And so as I was writing this and, and I was thinking about it, I just felt like Paul was almost talking to me saying, dude, what's going on? Check yourself. Re-examine yourself. Is your faith really genuine right now? You say that you're resting in the reality of Christ, but it does not look like it. It does not look like it because you're not focused on faithfulness and unity and grace and hope and love. You just want to be right. So what's going on there? So I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what your reality check is. But I think that stuff gets healed when we come back to the heart of it, when we come back to it. Are we going to worship more? Great. This is an opportunity to do that. When we worship, when we sing these songs, what it does is it aligns our our brains with the new reality. As we sing these words, it's like we're singing the anthems of heaven, and and it it makes it real. It creates a space in here where, where we are in that reality, where we're in the presence of God. It tunes us in, so to speak, right? It tunes us in. So... I would love to just continue worshiping and, uh, and doing that for ourselves. Maybe ask yourself where you're angry, where you're upset, or where you're anxious or afraid or fearful, where you're, where you're mad or you want to be right or whatever, and, and just mitigate that. Bring that back through the reality of Jesus and let that influence us. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll keep singing. Jesus, thank you so much for um, being the example for being the the anchor point thing that we can always come back to and should always come back to because as we grow in our faith as we begin to continue to mature and continue to grow up and try to figure this thing out we hear a lot of different voices from different people and some of those voices can pull us away from things that aren't pertinent to what you're up to in the world They're not good for us. They're not good for others. Our world needs hope. It needs life. It needs joy. It needs peace. It needs love, most importantly. And so we need to get that right. We need to get that stuff right. And the only way that we can do that is by examining ourselves constantly, making sure that we stay on base, making sure that we are abiding in you, resting in you, remaining in you. Paul needed to use some stern discipline with the Corinthians, and if we need that, God, I pray that you would speak that to us in a way that we can receive it tonight. We love you, Jesus. I thank you so much. Would you help us to become more aware of your presence, more aware of our new reality? In this moment, as we sing, as we praise you, as we talk about you, as we enjoy your presence, Lord. 
pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.